Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's special, so special. He needs some of that attention because he's a tattooed love boy. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a very special guest. He's the guitarist of one, of one of indie music's unique bands, Guided by Voices. He's also a member of the band that we featured in episode 14, when Wayne and I discussed the 12 essential Nada Surf songs. And he's a part of the band Bambi Kino that Ira Elliott in our Regatta de Blanc episode discussed. So please welcome to the podcast, Doug Gillard. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. So the uh, the premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each of our episodes, we ask the all-important question, so what T-shirt are you wearing, Wayne? I'm wearing my new Zion's Gate uh, record store shirt that I got uh, milling around the Zion's record, record store uh, before the Bob Mould show. There we go. And uh, in keeping with that, I'm wearing the latest addition to my my t-shirt collection so i'm wearing my bob mool sunshine uh i can't even say it sunshine rock uh and uh that was uh that was a good good show it was a good uh good bucket list item that was uh checked off yeah he's no nonsense i don't think he said five words he just came out and just ripped through what 20 25 songs 26 songs yeah and we were out of there and like what an hour and 40 minutes or something like that so it was it was uh got in and out some of my good friends on stage jason and john they were fantastic oh yeah yeah so what what band are they usually in uh they're usually in the bob mold band but um okay no uh john and jason are both in super chunk um sort of a new addition he's he's sort of the touring bass player for super chunk um it's always been Laura, but um, I mean, she's still involved, but he does the tours and um, John Worcester is a longtime drummer of that band. Uh, and uh, he's in the mountain goats. He's been in other things. He okay. did. a. He sat in with guided by voices in the past. He played on my solo record from 2004. Yeah. He's played with uh, lots of folks. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And so- Jason's a musician and from Chicago from long uh, going way back band called Verbo. So Doug, what anyway. what t- what T-shirt are you wearing for our episode? It's it's a, it's a sh- it's a shirt with um, sort of a Darth Vader hat and Star Wars font. It says "Cat, I am your father." <laughs> um, it's Darth Vader hat on a on a drawing of a cat. Awesome, and, and, and it, it says "Cat, I am your father" because I am um, I am a father to a cat. <laughs> there you go. Gotcha. Not biologically. Right. Right. Adopted. Adopted father. And and Doug, you are not the first of our our guests who have worn a Star Wars theme shirt. This is like what the third or fourth of our guests, Wayne, that <laughs> that, that uh, that's worn Star Wars. Fourth so if, four, fourth, if you count me. But yeah, Nick right. and uh, Dan. Yeah. So we're we're uh, that there there must be some connection between Star Wars and music. I must think. So <laughs> possibly, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so 2019, Doug seems to be uh, shaping up to be a busy one for you. I know Guided by Voices has already released one album, and it looks like based on a recent a- uh, single that showed up on Spotify, I guess it's safe to say there's more music coming our way from from Guided by Voices. 
Yeah, we released Zeppelin over China um, earlier this year, and um, an album just came out called Warp and Woof, which is a it's a collection of four EPs that we we did on seven inches, six song EPs, where all the songs are about two minutes, two minutes long and um, pretty concise. But uh, Bob collected those all on an LP and um, brilliantly sequenced them, not in the sequence they are on the uh, on the seven inches. So that's just out. And uh, we have another one, I think, coming out in the fall that's, that's finished. So how do you keep up with, with Robert Pollard? I mean, he, he it seems like he never sleeps. <laughs> uh, he does, but he, he, he wakes up and um, is inspired to write, you know, write a lot. And uh, we just work on music a lot. It's not, we're not constantly, it doesn't take up all our waking hours or anything, but uh, <laughs> we all have a good rhythm. We've we got a good rhythm going with it. And uh, sometimes we record in the van. If uh, if our guy Travis is with us, we'll we'll maybe do some tracks as we're tra- as we're traveling. Yeah, it all depends. But that's that that's crazy. Know, it, it's fun. It's fun to do it that way. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and someone told me that he's got like over a hundred release releases. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's counting. Um, that's counting all the LPs. Yeah. Yeah. So how many how many have you actually been a part of? Uh, or- quite a few. Uh, I wouldn't say not a majority, but um, maybe about a third. I could be wrong. Um, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of side projects involved in those 100 as well. Yeah. I'm part of a few of the side projects, the lifeguards, and, and Bob and I did a record in 99 under our names called Speak Kindly of your volunteer fire department. Um, ESP Ohio was another project we did a few years ago, and also lots of Guided by Voices records. Um, yeah. But there, you know, there have been different lineups and uh, different side projects with other people involved. So, yeah, I can't, I can't really say I, I don't have a count in my head. <laughs> I would lose count. So, so with all that music, <laughs> where, where does somebody start out with? You know, if if somebody is new to the whole Guided by Voices catalog, where, where would you, where would you point them? Because I don't think Guided by Voices has ever put out like a greatest hits or a compilation record of that of that magnitude, correct? Uh, no, we did we did back in uh, 2003 or four, Human Amusements at hourly rates, and there but that was then, and uh, there have been a lot more releases since then. So, right, um, that's something to look for. It's sort of a box set. Scat Records put out a box set um, back in the early 90s. But that kind of covered that covered the band up until up until ninety three or four or something like that. But um, that's you know they could start there, but that's only one iteration of the band. So just start on any album, and, <laughs> and then um, and then go down rabbit holes to more. <laughs> right, right. And and you are also going to be busy with some not a surf recording as well, from from what I gather. Uh yeah, possibly. I think I think there's something happening later in the year. We'll 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 see. I'm not sure if schedules are will permit, but maybe I could do something remotely, or 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 maybe I can be with him. Uh, I'll have to see. Okay. And uh, hey. last year I was part of the uh, Nico Case album. That's a great record. Nice. I was not aware that you were on that. Yeah, I tracked a lot of guitar on that. Uh, credited with the harpsichord on a couple things. Cool. Um, there's a lot of musicians on that, but. Um, she brought me in to to play some some guitar, so I'm on I'm on most of the songs. 
Excellent. And uh, any any other solo records from from uh, Doug that we're going to see in the near future? Because you you've put out a few solo records as well. That's correct. Probably probably something coming up um, within the next year or so. Uh, okay. Plans aren't solidified yet, but um, that's happening. I'm producing a band called Bye Bye Blackbirds, a San Francisco sort of guitar pop, power pop sort of band. Um, and let's see, I don't want to leave anyone out. Uh, <laughs> right now, that's, that might be about it. There's a project called Scarcity of Tanks, which is a guy, Matthew, from, from Cleveland, who he, he puts out about two records a year. And it's more on the avant-garde side. And he employs people like myself, Nels Klein, Mike Watt, Kid Millions, all these other sort of, uh, I don't know, music. That's, that's good company. Throughout, throughout history, people from, he's considering maybe another one, doing another one with Tom Watson involved from Slavonly. And I might be involved in that. Um, we'll see, but we're always in touch. That's always fun to do. Yeah. You can do them remotely. When when you put out your solo records, did you get a lot of people going? Wait a minute, he can sing? Because I, you know, Wayne, you've been telling me to check out the Duff McKagan record, for instance, and um, you know, Duff Duff's got a unique voice, but uh, you know, he can't sing. Yeah, and I like say most of the stuff I listened to getting ready for this was off of uh, Doug's solo record, uh, Parade On. I really I. I uh, enjoyed Upper Hand and Angel X. I was a, I like that. It was good stuff. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm kind of hard on myself when I sing. Um, I keep doing it over until it's something that I can stand to listen to. But um, <laughs> got to get the notes right. But yeah, uh, everyone's kind of weird about their own voice, you know. But um, my intentions are better than the, the execution sometimes. You know, my ideas, my ideas are great, but the actual. <laughs> The actual uh, vocal cord uh, vibrations are hard to control sometimes, especially as you get older. But um, yeah, it's all right, you know. Yeah. Do you, Do you prefer being the guy that's in the spotlight when you have to do the singing on your solo stuff, or do you prefer kind of be the the guy who's, you know, kind of behind the scenes and playing the guitar and not having to worry too much about you know the the crowd interaction, etc. Yeah, the latter. It's much easier to, it's much easier to have a front man that people can focus on, uh, other than yourself. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, and it's more fun, just, you know, play guitar, and uh, I can really concentrate on the chords and and everything, really get inside of it. But um, on the other hand, when you're, when you are the front man, you're presenting your own songs, and that's nice as well. Right. You know, I like it. It's always nice to see people appreciate your songs. And that they approve of your singing of them, right? So I also saw that Bambi Kino, you guys have uh, you guys have a date on the on the calendars. I know Ira was uh, super excited about right. that. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm so I'm assuming big Beatles fan, just like Ira is. Yeah, pretty much the first thing I started listening to growing up. So yeah, um, we're all of course all four members. They're pretty pretty big on the Beatles, but uh, I love the premise of the band because it's it's the 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 Hamburg stuff, the the BBC session, the covers that they just did, you know, and right. Hamburg BBC session, Star Club. There's a couple sort of originals that creep in there, but they're the unknown ones. Like the, there's an instrumental, surfy instrumental, the George and John wrote actually called uh, "Cry for a Shadow," that we do. 
even stuff that uh, really isn't on some of the the compilations and things out there that we had found out were on their set list, we'll 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 do. You know, we'll dig up the original, say it was Gene Vincent or something, and we'll just learn it and play it because they played it, or right. Fast Domino. But yeah, that's uh, that's a hell of a lot of fun. That band. That's cool. So, uh, any other tour dates planned uh, for any other projects? Guided by Voices. Are they planning on touring again in 2019? Yeah, there's. Um, you'll have to go to gbv.com or the Guided by Voices Facebook page to see our uh, tour dates. But um, they're all set for this year. We're playing lots of festivals, touring around. Uh, we're going to Europe this year. We're going to play the Primavera Festival in Spain and Barcelona and Porto, Portugal. Cool. A couple shows in London and um, festival in the Netherlands on that trip. So, and there's also some U.S. shows. We're playing Milwaukee Summerfest, um, show in New Jersey, show in Boston, a festival in Ohio. So there's there's things happening. I tried to see you guys last August when you came to Jacksonville. I wasn't quick enough to grab tickets, so oh. uh, that that sold out. We, yeah, we, we played the big uh, distillery there. Right, and what yeah. what does that hold? Like 200 people. Yeah, I think yeah, I think something like that. I missed out. It was out. pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, I missed out. They had to bring out the fans and everything, the giant fans to to keep air circulating in there. But um. all right, well let's uh, let's let's jump into uh, the the record. However, before we jump into the pretender, so I've got one last question that we're we're now asking all of our guests because of of Wayne. <laughs> So we're 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 blaming we're blaming this on Wayne. So Toto's Africa, good song or bad song? Probably get crucified for this, but I always I always sort of thought it was a good song. Yeah, that is, I, that's I think not a I like endorsement. I think at the time I liked I liked I was behind Rosanna a little more, but uh, at the time I was you know burgeoning punk underground music person. You know, you're really not allowed to like stuff like that. Um, but I like music, and it was sort of a guilty pleasure. But in those days, I mean, we're talking mid-'80s. You're just coming out of high school. It's sort of like uh, I was in the band Death of Samantha. We were playing around, opening up for the gun club and things like that. It wasn't something I thought about. It was some, it, it, At the time, I was sick of that stuff because it was just – that was the corporate radio. and Right. You know, the mindset of the time, if you were in anything but a, a signed band or just a – top 40 fan was you know stick it to the man stick it to corporate radio corporate radio sucks <laughs> top 40 sucks you know major labels screw that but um you know as time goes on you, you go yeah kind of like that song um i'm well, kind of sick of it now I, I would say you know i would acknowledge that it's an okay song i'm just kind of sick of it okay all right well you're uh you're so you're leaning more towards wayne sensibilities because he hates the song Oh, okay. Yeah, for all yeah, the I, things I, you said, I do not it was hate just... it. It's very, it's very well crafted. It's um, there, there are some top forty songs I would, I would go to say that I really do hate. Um, I can't think of an example right now, but yeah. I mean, I like it. I like Africa way better than, say, Four Non Blondes. That's, <laughs> but, or some of the '90s alternative songs. They're, they're just, they're bad. They're poorly written. They're, they're horrible grunge radio alternative radio whatever all that stuff right some of the stuff some of the stuff's really 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 bad yeah we could we could probably go on all day about the songs that 
I never, <laughs> ever need to hear again from the 90s. Um, so I appreciate yeah. the craft and talent um, involved uh, in Toto. So, yeah. All I right. Guess that's, that's an answer there. Well, Wayne, I, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna count, I'm gonna count that as a yes. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't a ringing endorsement, but I'm, I'm, I'm behind. It's me against the world. I'm all right. We'll keep asking the question. I don't, I don't like any covers of it though. <laughs> okay. No okay. okay. Yeah. So, um, so before we jump into pretenders, so you know, my original communications to you was. Hey, pick a record that that you that you like that you want to talk about. Um, you know, we uh, you originally had told me maybe a Stranglers record. You kind of hinted that uh, maybe uh, Echo and the Bunny Man or Killing Joke or Julian Cope. Um, so what what eventually led you to choose the the debut from Pretenders? Uh, I had forgotten that that's a record that I'd always. Uh held up as maybe my favorite record of all time. <laughs> I just, for some reason it was out of my mind and, um, but yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought maybe it had already been done or maybe too obvious or something, but I think I was trying to shoot for something less obvious, but I really didn't think it through too much. And then I had a eureka moment with that. And there you go. There you go. And, and and notice I said pretenders and not the pretenders because I noticed on all the remasters and reissues that Chrissy has done over the years that she's dropped the from the band name and it's just pretenders. Thought that was yeah. I don't know too. I don't know too much about that. I don't but, either. Yeah. I I just thought that that was kind of interesting. Um. So so Wayne, when did you discover Chrissy and the Pretenders? Uh, first time I heard him was uh, learning to crawl because I mean I'm I, I was 11 when or 10 when this came out so uh, but once I heard uh, the stuff off learning to crawl uh, I went back and as time went mm -hmm. on I went you know as uh, this is Pretenders are one of my favorite bands and I, I would say this is this may not be my favorite record but it is it's right up there this is uh, just I can say listening to it this week. Uh, just great. I mean, it starts out so just raucous, and then it kind of gets a little different on the second side. But all of together, it's mm -hmm. just uh, incredible. And and so, Doug, you're just a few years older than than Wayne and I. Um, it, was this your first foray into Pretenders? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, WMMS there played brass and pocket but i mean they were i think they were down from the get-go with this band because chrissy was from akron and they just really played the record all the time they really pushed it uh they played other tracks besides brass and pocket and i just and they were for some reason they were playing lots of rock pile at the time and just a really great time 79 80 i know they were trying to stay relevant and stay with the times they were still playing you know tons of zeppelin and uh the AOR and, and um, all that stuff all the time, which is fine as well. But that, that period where new things were coming in, uh, psychedelic furs, pretenders, they're playing Blondie. You know, they yeah. they didn't go they didn't go really freaky. But to me though, at the time, that was an eye opener because I was I was fourteen, something like that, thirteen, and um, I was in the process of. I mean, I'd already been playing guitar for a while by that point, but. It just really sort of energized me. Yeah, 
and being from Ohio, you kind of have to, you kind of have to love the pretenders just because, you know, they do mention Ohio and my city was gone from learning to crawl. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, in Precious. Yeah, the uh, opening track. Oh, that's right. Lots of references, lots of references there. And in uh, Day After Day on the second record, they, she mentioned oh. some things. You remember the flats? You were there. Uh, the flats is an area in Cleveland. Okay. Clubs and it's by the river. Yeah, Precious really is ch- just chock full of nothing but Cleveland references, which I think is great. Gotcha. All right. Um, all right. Let's get some some background info on this. So. This album debuted at number one on the UK album charts when it finally did get released. Uh, made the top 10 on the Billboard 200, certified uh, platinum in nine, 1982. I did take a look at the Rolling Stone ranking of the album. So this uh, this was number 155 on its list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. So as, as I always do, I'm, I'm kind of a list guy. So you guys want to you guys want to hear what is better than uh, than Pretenders according to Rolling Stone? <laughs> All right, so Wayne, you'll I appreciate. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go ahead. Though. So Wayne, you'll appreciate this. So uh, number one fifty six on the list was Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique. Nice. Uh, one fifty four was Howling Moo- uh, Howling Wolf's Moaning in the Moonlight. Tribe Called Quests, Low End Theory was at 153. The B-52's debut record was at 152. And Arcade Fire Funeral, that's 151. Which, this is kind of the the weird... Yeah, yeah, this is kind of the weird stuff with Rolling (laughs) Stone and their list, though. So, they did have this listed as the 13th best debut record. Just ahead of it is The Clash's self-titled record, which is, you know, phenomenal. But Arcade Fire's Funeral is listed at 15th best debut record, which it just doesn't make any sense because they have this as a better record overall. Um, or Arcade Fire's Funeral is is considered a better record overall than Pretender. So all I can say is get it together, Rolling Stone, on that. But there was a video of of Arcade Fire's actual funeral. That might rate <laughs> that might rate really high in my book. You know, and but. and I I keep being told that I, this is one of those bands that I have to see in person to like really appreciate because I don't I'm not an Arcade Fire fan as and I just you know haven't 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 pulled the trigger on that. So I was just uh, there was an opportunity for a joke there. Um, <laughs> you knocked it out of it's the park. I, okay. I liked it. Yeah, you knocked it out of the park. Um, all right, so let's. Uh, I guess let's 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 jump into the record. I did want to just make one last thing about the the record. So it was remastered and re-released in 2006. A lot of good stuff on there. Uh, Cuban slide, porcelain. Those were originally B sides to Talk of the Town and Message of Love. And on extended play, right, and yeah. uh, and there's there's uh, swinging London and nervous but shy. Those were on the flip side of brass and pocket, and there mm-hmm. there's some really and there's some re- really interesting demos on there. It's it's a, it's always fun to listen to the demos because you kind of see where it started from and then you yeah get, they're great yeah. yeah 
Yeah. I love those demos. Like on the weight, uh, Martin Chambers really does some cool little fills and it's very exciting. It's good stuff. All right, let's jump into it. So first, first song is Precious. Across the street, cause you're precious. Moving through the Cleveland heat, how precious. Taking that and all the kicks are so precious. You know how to shit and bricks, cause I precious. Make me wanna. Make me wanna. Make me make it. And this is this is a great way to start a record. I like that it's in your face. You know, I, I'm just curious on how people reacted to hearing this when they bought the record because they were probably they were probably familiar with the first two singles, which was uh, "Stop Your Sobbing" and "Kid," or maybe hearing "Brass and Pocket" for the first time, and then you're hearing this, where you know. Chrissy is telling people to F off and, um, you know, she's, she's definitely got a little bit of an attitude on this, on this record. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm a little cur- bit's an understatement. This is, she's, this is ferocious. This is, I can say, I love the drumstick count in to start this whole yeah. thing off. And then uh, she's, yeah. And for 1979, that, uh, I mean, there weren't a lot of women in, in rock, to begin with, and she, you know, comes out and kicks the door in and just goes crazy. This is this is a great way to start a career. I mean, you, if somebody had bought this record first, uh, I don't know how you wouldn't be in love with this band after that. Yeah, and it's it's the perfect sort of what's the word ironic presentation of the word precious. It's called precious, and she's just kind of spitting out all this stuff, being the opposite of precious, you know. It's precious in quotation marks. Right. Really. It's great. Lot, lots of irony going on. She mentions Mr. Stress, which I guess is a, a, a blues band leader that she was part of the band. And he uh, rumor is that he told her the only way anybody she was going to get anybody to listen to her is to go to Europe. And that's exactly what she did. She did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a guy named Bill Miller called himself Mr. Stress. Um harmonica player i think i don't know how long they've been around in cleveland probably since the late 60s and um i i used to see him he used to play the euclid tavern before euclid tavern started booking all the amphetamine reptile bands that would come through town um they would just have blues bands and it was near the case western campus but uh, i would see mr stress sometimes um and a lot of people a lot of people uh were in the band kind of on and off um anton fear played drums for the band for a while he was uh turned out to be mr golden palominos and he was in the feelies um glenn schwartz was a a blues uh guitarist in pacific gas and electric um he just passed away peter lochner who was a guy that kind of wrote everyone's best punk songs and then died at 24 um he wrote some songs for perubu final solution things like that and chrissy i guess was in the band for a little bit 
so that line where she references Mr. Stress, she always said she also said Howard the Duck. Now Howard the Duck and Mr. Stress both stayed. Is yeah, Howard yeah. the Duck referring to somebody, or is is she being uh, literal I, there? I think she's just talking about the comic. Okay. It, it was a it was a comic strip that, that came out of Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. There's the Cleveland connection. Okay. Later, someone made a movie, but made a Howard the Duck movie. Yeah, that was sometime that in was, the eighties. That was Spielberg. <laughs> oh, he's oh, just somebody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Some no-name director. So Spielberg well, did that. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. At least Leah Thompson's in there. And, oh. And okay. you know, I, I I love me some Leah Thompson. So. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else before we jump into scores on this? Uh, she mentions Hotel Sterling, which was a a downtown Cleveland old hotel. It's kind of a flop house. It's essentially um, kind of a rundown flop house that you could you could book a room there if you wanted. And um, sometime during the time I was living in Cleveland, they did tear it down. But when Tom Waits would come to town, he used to um, demand to stay there, even though the record company said, you can stay at this nice hotel if you want to go. Nah, I want to stay at the Hotel Sterling. Because <laughs> he wanted to kind of slum it, you know. He wanted to live what he was singing, so. He'd always try to find the flop houses and stay in them. Wow. But I mean, legend has it. I don't know if that's, I think that's true. Right. <laughs> Got it. All right. Uh, Wayne, what's, uh, what's your score on Precious? Seven. And Doug, your score? Uh, five. Yeah. And I gave it a six. So the definitely, definitely a song that uh, I'll, I, I will be revisiting on a, on a regular basis. It's a great song. Very kick kick butt type of song. All yeah, right, moving great. All all of James's stuff on it. Uh, it's all it's uh, you know the guitar stuff is amazing. Yeah. All right, moving on. Here's the phone call. So someone explained the lyrics to me because I I really don't have an idea of all of this mercy missions that she keeps talking about. She brings up wing demons are the hardest to outfox. Um, there's a there. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of imagery that's going on here that I have no idea what she's referring to. I always, for some reason, I always uh, envision Barbara Feldon and Get Smart when I hear this song. Okay. You know, sort of a sort of a spy situation happening. I'm not really sure. I thought it starts out great. I mean, it's got that it's cool chunky guitar and then but then all of a sudden it it's almost like it speeds up. It changes so quickly. It feels like I just I kept getting this image of something sticky on the back of the CD. It just it I can't I couldn't I it I and but then when it go back to that <clears throat> that guitar part, that's super cool and then it would do this speed up cut away 
and I couldn't figure out, I couldn't even hear what she was saying because I was so distracted by the, the sudden changes. Yeah, yeah, her sort of off-time off time rhythm thing is uh, is great, and it just it sets the band apart, I think. And uh, interviews with uh, the other band members, they always say that they just, you know, they tried to keep up with her. They, they, they tried to understand what she was doing rhythm-wise, and they just, you know, just kind of fell together. It wasn't like they were all on the same page. Um, <laughs> And it ended up working, you know. Yeah, and there, and to that point, Doug. I mean, there, there's a few songs on here that it really seems like, like especially with Mystery Achievement, where they're trying to kind of keep up with her as the the, the ringleader of the circus. And um, you know, sometimes it works. Definitely in Mystery Achievement, I think it does. This one, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of feel the same way with with you, Wayne, where I, I, I felt like it was just missing just something to kind of find this cohesive unit, but um, I still liked it. Still a good song. Oh yeah. I mean, it still has this, I mean, both the first two tracks kind of have this punk rock feel where, and I can say, I, I, I believe she had a vision of what, she, what, you know, she wanted to do here. And I, I take full responsibility for not getting it, but uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't keep I couldn't keep track of what was going on. It was changing too quick. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get some scores on this. So, uh Wayne, I think you've uh, kind of alluded to what your score is going to look like. I I, I gave this a 1. This was the my least favorite song. Okay. Doug, your score? Uh for me it's a 9 because uh it's just one of those songs that embodies what I love about the the album. That's unique pretenders to me. It's just really sort of angular you know sort of rebellious cool cool stuff going on yeah yeah um mysterious cool stuff um so to me that that's why i rated it a nine all right so i gave it a i gave it a four so we're kind of all over the place as far as yeah the phone call all right moving on this is a third song this is up the neck I never really listened to the lyrics of this until our analysis. I'm not really sure why I always thought that the up the neck was a reference to guitars. And I'm pretty sure that I'm wrong now. Uh, Cause this is, this is a, like a sexually charged type of tune. Yeah. I mean, just read the lyrics and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. And I, I love the way this starts out slow and real like melodic and calm, like almost like they're giving you a break from the first two, you know, they, they, they tore it up. And now it, it, this one's sequenced really great where like, say you've, they've just had two that are real high tempo, real, you know, fast paced. And then they, she kind of gives you a break, but yeah, the, the lyrics, I always think of a guitar. And when I read the lyrics and listened to the song, cause I like how it builds up to the chorus. This is definitely a showcase for, uh, you know, James Honeyman Scott. Yeah. I think that um, 
up the neck might have come from talking about guitar. You know, someone mentioned it as a guitar terminology, uh, as a guitar term talking in practice or something, and she then applied it to her lyrics and thought it would be a cool title. I don't know. Um, I love it. I, I, I gave it a 10 because it's another thing that embodies just this, the best of the pretenders, you know, to me. It has everything in it. Uh, and the choppy sort of intro with the double stops, like later he used it in uh, Day After Day. Uh, I had read that he, Chris Spedding, was an influence and showed him some things. I think this kind of sounds like a Chris Spedding sort of move. It's got this great little insistent guitar solo that he does. And then it's got some chimey stuff. So it's just, I think guitar-wise, it has everything in it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I gave it an eight. Um, and Wayne, what was your score on this? I gave it a five. I mean, this is definitely, like, to Doug's point, these, I don't think they, they are so... I mean, different. There's there's a lot of, like, they have a lot of unique takes on, I mean, this record is kind of all over the place, but in a very, really cool way. Yeah. All right. Uh, next song is uh, Tattooed Love Boys. A good time is guaranteed for one and all the tattoos. Target practice in the hall while we're This was the B-side to Kid, which was released as a single prior to this entire album coming out in January of 1980. That single came out in June of 79, and I already know where your guys' scores are, so we collectively love this song. So who who, who wants to gush on Tattooed Love Boys? Uh, uh, I, well, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Doug. I don't, I don't know where to begin, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> the maracas uh, that's it's it's a great yeah the, yeah the maracas yeah thank you um maracas are great it just got this swagger to it um it's also sort of really exciting sort of more on the punk side it's got the weird timing seven four whatever but then you know james i mean scott's line over the top of that just kind of glues everything together uh with the weird timing and then the drumming you know chambers reaches new heights here yeah, I got um, that too. I mean, he's just—it's just constant through the whole song. It—it really—I—I I really took notice of that. Yeah, and the solo—it's—it's uh, it's in one of my top, you know, favorite solos of anybody, really. But he does something different every every break, and then the very end, and how how high it was mixed, <laughs> how prominent it was in the mix, I thought was really awesome, really cool. Yeah. All right. And uh, I can tell. I thought. I thought it was maybe two people on the guitar at the end of that, one to do the toggle switch and the other to detune it. Because unless it was a rare like Les Paul with the whammy bar, which um, is is pretty rare, but I know he. I don't think he had those at that time. 
but I found some old interview and he said that it's it's all him. He's just doing the toggle switch and detuning the string, the G string. So nice. I guess it can be done if you're really quick. Because as right. we know, strats strats with whammy bars, they don't have their toggle switches. Uh, you can't you can't do that that on off thing with those. So I've used that a lot. I've, I've done the you know, toggle switch. You know, Townsend did it a lot. All right, let's get some scores. So Doug, what you got? Uh, Eleven. And Wayne? I gave it a ten. It's not only one of my favorite song titles of all time. Uh, it's just, I mean, how how ballsy to use that line of uh, what that hole is for line. I mean, especially like say at this time, <laughs> you gotta. I mean, you gotta. I mean, you gotta think 1979. You know, girls didn't talk like that, and that's just one of the things I absolutely mm-hmm. love about Chrissy Hind. And mm-hmm. I'm matching. I'm matching your ten on that so we're 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 definitely in simpatico there we gotta remember where she came from was um she was there at the birth of punk pretty much yeah i mean she was in london she was there at the formation of the clash and sex pistols and she was in bands with some of them before that i I think she even recommended musicians to each other when they before they formed some of these bands um and so i mean she was used to those guys you know saying much rougher things in their songs. Um, so I think this, this is sort of a representation of that or, or a carryover from that. Right. Oh, I, yeah. And like I say, like I, there wasn't a lot of girls in, in more, you know, hard rock type music. And I imagine if you're going to play with the boys, you, you, she, she, she made sure that they knew that she could play with the boys. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Moving on the instrumental space invader. talked about this song briefly on our episode with Ira because the police's title song Regatta de Blanc won the 1980 Best Rock Instrumental Grammy and Space Invader was one of the nominees and I think I think really? we were all yeah I think we were all in in uh, agreement that Space Invader probably should have been the one to win that instrumental uh, Grammy but you know the other nominees were Dixie Drags. There was an Emerson, Lake and Palmer song. Um, actually, it was the Peter Gunn cover that they did, and uh, Jean-Luc Ponty's Beach Girl. Um, so you know, <laughs> a jazz fusion guy got nominated as a rock song. But mm-hmm. uh, so uh, you know, I I mentioned this on the on the episode. You know that we when was what year was Music Box Dancer? I don't think I think it was, that was before 1980, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was before eighty. Uh, yeah. A- any anything on Space Invader you guys want to talk about besides maybe the 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 goofy little uh, Space Invader uh, sounds at the end of the song? I was just gonna say I would. I think the reason it's not number one is because I I I spent so much time in fifth and sixth grade playing Space Invaders that I that I gave it a little bit of a nod. But also, 
a pretender song without Chrissy Hind, uh, it just feels like a tree falling in the forest with no one to hear it. It just doesn't seem something is missing. Did it really happen? Right. I give I give them kudos for putting an instrumental on the album. I think it's great. Um, I do love her voice, but it's it's awesome to hear this instrumental. Um, they're just having fun. There there's that little day tripper sort of riff part when the beat goes halftime. It's got that sort of the really nice reggae tinged uh, bass intro. It's nice. I, I didn't I didn't rate it very high just because I like other songs so much more, but um, I think it's great. Yeah, and my you know my comments on on this one was so it's really a Pete Farndon and you know Honeyman Scott song they're they're really the the forefront of this and i just think wow what a tragedy of what what good music could they have made had they had they still been with us so exactly kind of kind of the tragic tragic story there all right let's get some scores i gave it a 2 wayne I also gave it a two. And then Doug? I gave it a three. All right. Moving on to the weight. And since we have a, a guitar virtuoso on the podcast, I'm going to ask you, what's that technique that he's using on on that song? Is there yeah, a the little... person on the line? <laughs> <laughs> he's not answering. <laughs> I'm talking about you, Doug. <laughs> well, I'll, okay. In, in lieu of one being here, I'll, I'll speak. Um, the, uh, what was the question again? So, so the tell chunky. me what the, yeah, tell me what that chunky technique that they're using on this song that wink, 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 wink. I think it's just, you mute, you mute the strings and um, strum over the muted strings. Okay. So it's, so it's yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing super crazy. No, you just, uh, you're, you're, you're forming your chord with your left hand and then um, you're, you're pressing the strings down into the frets and then you just sort of, you mute it, which means you, you let the meat of your fingers of your of your skin rest on the strings and you still um just kind of really strum or whatever chunk the uh with your right hand with the pick gotcha okay and uh it's very effective here and she used to telly and i know james um in the studio sometimes he would use some of her tellies as well um and with the telly it's that sort of chunking sounds even better uh it sounds cool you can sort of hear the harmonics of the guitar with with a fender when you do that um more than like a les paul so i don't i don't know what was used there but um it's a really exciting song it's such a good song and and again because i know everyone scores so wayne tell us why you love this one so much you know what i love everything about this song but it starts with these it feels like these big pete townsend swinging you know strums and the, and the cymbals and then it goes into that that chalky that chunky muted riff um, and then she just starts spitting the lyrics out. And uh, 
That's uh, just every and then the bay the base breakdown into the bridge. I mean, I think she even pants towards the end. It's just uh, I just love everything about this song. It's just this is one of mm-hmm. my favorite songs. Chalk one up for Pete Farndon on this one too. Bass lines just freaking incredible, and you know Chambers, everybody. The guitars sound great together. I think both the, uh, her sound and James's sounds really meld well together on this one. They're kind of playing the same chords, you know. Um, there's a dissonance at the beginning of the tar solo, of the guitar. I said tar solo, uh, and I read that that's actually Chrissy, um, just kind of just playing some open stuff and. Then James takes over, and I think that's really cool. Part lyrics are absolutely unintelligible. Um, I just know I just always knew it was child, and then whoop my baby. <laughs> right. Yeah, and she throws. But, um, that's a weird thing. She throws child in there, like at the. It's. I, I read the lyrics and and listening to it, it's like I don't even need to know the lyrics. I just throw them out. This is just such a great song great. to listen to. Yeah. yeah. No, it's killer. It's really amazing. Um, this is also one to go back on. Uh, if you have bought the album, the reissue album, or a Spotify, yeah. to, uh, to hear the demo demo of this song. Um, it's a great demo, too. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, let's get some scores. So, Wayne, I think I already know what yours is, but go ahead. Uh, this, is my, this is my favorite song. Let's get to 12. Yeah. And, uh, Doug? For me, it's seven, just because others... Um, rank higher for different reasons yeah and i gave it a nine so i think we're we're all in in agreement this is this is one of the better songs on the on the record mm-hmm. all right so let's uh let's flip the record over so first first song on the b-side this is stop your sobbing it is time for you to stop And uh, this is, of course, a remake of a kink song. Uh, I won't spend any time about how Chrissy, you know, ended up having a relationship with Ray Davies after the song came out. You could read that in the, you know, uh, autobiography. And, um, you know, we'll we'll save all the salacious details of how that came to fruition to other podcasts. But this was the first single ever released by The Pretenders. And this was one of three demos that were given to Nick Lowe. And um, after Nick recorded it, uh, he essentially said, you guys are not going anywhere. And uh, he, uh, he bolted. Um, did make the top 40, reached number 34 in the UK. Didn't perform quite as well uh, in the US number 65 in the billboard hot 100 so if you're wondering why the production of this particular song was a little bit different than the rest that's that's why it was it was one of the early releases and it was produced by a different guy um so nick Lowe, how wrong was he (laughs) in this situation 
Apparently, since they made it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he could not have been more wrong. Yeah, he was wrong. Um, he did a pretty good job with the production. I think there's too much high end on her voice. It's a little too wet, a little too trebly. But um, other than that, it's pretty good. It's not my favorite song. Um, I will say that I think this version is an improvement over the Kinks version. I usually don't feel that way. I always think the originals are the best, but I, I like the feel they gave it. Uh, all the guitar overdubs are great. Um, the vocal crossfire at the, at the very end, the tail end, is, uh, is really awesome. It, it's a good, it's a pretty good song. I rated it pretty low, but um, as pretenders go, it's not, you know, it's a little too just sort of simple and uh, for me. Yeah. But uh, the chimey guitar stuff makes it great, and the vocal harmonies she put uh, in the choruses are great, and the whole feel is is really good. But that's my take on it. Yeah, I love I love this song, so I gave it an eleven. Um, this is one of those pretender songs that I go back to on a regular basis. I'm I'm with you, Doug. Usually I'm a, I'm an original original guy, but I I really I definitely like the their version better than the Kinks version. So um wayne wayne how about you what's your what's your score on this i gave it a six i i and i i did not know it was a kink song which makes me feel bad but i i I can't feel too be too hard on myself because i didn't realize that where have all the good times gone by van halen was a kink song until i was listening to pinups by david bowie and i'm like how did he cover a van halen song before it was recorded And so I guess I I need to look more into the kinks. This song highlights what a great songwriter that Ray Davies is, um, because this is a beautiful song. Um, They actually, they absolutely kill it. I mean, it does feel like a rest after the wait. Like you just got, just run through, you know, the washing machine and then they kind of give you a, give you a little break with stop your sobbing. And I, I love the sentiment of, I think Ray Davies is a brilliant songwriter. It's like, just quit, quit your crying or I'm just, I, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. And then uh, Doug, what's your score on this? See, my score was uh, a two. So, so Wayne, do you feel bad anymore? No. Okay. So, <laughs> can... <laughs> and uh, on the second album, they did "I Go to Sleep," which was a Ray Davies song. Um, right. I think before that, only known as a demo. The Kinks never. He was he wrote it for someone else in the '60s, and I don't think I don't think anyone recorded it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, of course, now you can hear the demo. It's it's like a piano-based song. It's out on things, it's out on compilations or something. But um, anyway, I go to sleep. I thought it was really good as well on the second record. Second record, solid as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. All right, moving on. Uh, next song is Kid.
And uh, Doug, why don't you get us started on your uh, analysis on Kid? Well, um, it's pretty great from start to finish. It's probably got one of my favorite guitar solos ever, if not my favorite. Okay. Um, I don't know what the other ones would be. I always liked uh, Dave Gregory, Life Begins at the Hop, or Ten Feet Tall, or something like that, or James Burton on Hello Mary Lou. But um, I would, I've, I've always sort of said James Honeyman Scott is my favorite rock guitar player. And I think that's still true. I don't really keep lists in my head anymore, but um, <laughs> you're not someone asked me. That's that's probably that's kind of who I say. But I mean, there's lots of people, but yeah, that influence uh, players. But um, just that what he brought to these first couple of Pretenders records kind of epitomizes things that I like. So um, yeah, that's probably that's that's one of the, the catchiest and and best solos you can one could find i mean it's just sort of heart tugging and uh, the whole song is i mean he puts major seventh chords in the in the break there um if you listen to the demo and live versions he he does this on the second chord which is a uh, the b he um he does this sort of suspended fourth into a b major instead of on on the uh, album it keeps it all minor but that's really pretty too i kind of wish he did that but um it's great and it's not a super long uh solo either no though he there's so there's so much in it yeah. <laughs> you know, uh whatever the span of that solo is there's just so much in it a short solo yeah. all right uh let's let's uh let's get some some scores oh just just some bio info so this was released as the pretender's second single so again prior to the release of the 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 album didn't uh uh reach 33 so just a little bit better than the previous uh, previous single. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, Doug, I'm taking it. This is your top score. Yeah, um, I gave it a 12. 12 meaning 12 being the top. Yes. Gotcha, Wayne. I, I gave it a nine. I fall in love with Chrissy Hind every time I hear this song. Um, I just love this, the way it's structured. They got that, the bass is kind of playing over the verse. And then that's that, that chimey little riff that he plays at the beginning and then into each verse. And then I, I agree. I wrote down on here, great solo, triple exclamation points. I thought that this was, <laughs> it wasn't long, but it was, I don't know. It just worked so well. It fit, and, and there's an acoustic guitar that plays towards the end, which, I watched the video, which the video has the classic Chrissy Hind with like that, that that jacket and the the skinny tie, uh, and they cut it out of that. But it's a it actually I it's a great video too. But uh, yeah, this yeah. this is yeah that that solo is it's I don't know it's just powerful. It's for as short as it is, it just makes the song. This is one where James used um, Chrissy's telly for the solo. I think he doubled I think he doubled it double tracked it, but. Um... Yeah, he used your Telecaster for that. Gotcha. And my my final score, I gave it a seven. This was as high as my eleven at the beginning of the week, and I just kept on moving other songs above it. But I I absolutely love this song. This is a uh, this this captures the essence of the first Pretenders lineup, and uh, yeah, I think I think they they gel really well on this this particular song. So we're going to move on from a song that we really like to a song that uh, I don't think all of us uh, really liked all that much. This is uh, this is Private Life. Sentimental gestures only for me today You've made a 
influence going on the background vocals kind of wore on me after a few repeated listenings you know with the the um so this is uh, i'm just going to throw this out there this is this is my least favorite song on the record so i gave this a <gasps> no, i did too i did too. I did. <laughs> um so wayne wayne you you like this a little bit more than Doug and I, not by much, but a little bit. So, um... no, I, but I mean, I have all the same criticisms. Like, say, I, I like the, that that offbeat reggae strum, and I think the bass work is super good on this. But this is the first point in the in the record where anybody else does background vocals besides Chrissy, and that makes it clear why they don't do that a lot. It just, <laughs> I felt like with the reggae tinge, I, I would have replaced this with Cuban Slide. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have as well. Yeah, Cuban Slide is great. Um, it's more Bo Diddley, but yeah. Um, I don't know if they did that during these sessions, or they probably did. Who knows? But I I like Private Life a lot, but ranking it with all the other songs in the album, it has to be the lowest for me. Yeah. It's too long. There's about eight verses. I right. know she likes Bob Dylan, but, you know, <laughs> um, the eight-verse thing. Yeah, it's it's a pretty long song. She tells a story in it. It's fine, but uh, and the guitar, the guitar stuff's great. The 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 breakdown part of the refrain, I think, is really great. Where she goes, whoa, and the descending thing. The guitar arpeggio things during the verse, I like. Bassline's great. Um, I like his solo. It's just sort of this repetitive thing, like uh, boredom for the buzzcocks has a two-note repetitive solo. But it's too long, and it's not just overall not my favorite. Yep. And Wayne, what was your what was your final score? Uh three. Okay. All right. Um, I will just uh, do a spoiler alert. This was our least favorite song, uh, based off of our scores. So, got an yeah, average. I gave score. it a one. Yeah, got got an average score of one point six six. So. All right, moving on to uh, the song that everyone knows. This is Brass and Pocket. Uh, this was this was definitely my introduction to the band um wayne i was one of those weirdos that was listening to music at 
you know, 10 and 11. Um, and I really just fell in love with this song. And you'll see by my score that uh, I'm still in love with this song. Uh, this was the band's third single. This was uh, number one song on the UK singles chart for a couple weeks. This did reach as high as number 14 in the US. I don't think Chrissy likes this song all too much. If if I remember correctly, some of the, the stuff that she talked about that uh, I don't think that she liked the fact that they kind of kind of turned this into a hit for them. It's definitely a pop song. Um, you know, it does have some components of, you know, good rock song as well. But, you know, they were I think they were trying to make Chrissy a, 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 a pop star at this point. Mm hmm. Yeah, she doesn't like it. I did read that. I also read uh, before Chris uh, Thomas took on the project, he heard him play at the Marquee Club in London, and he said, and he said something to her about it, and she said she hated it. It was awful. And he said, well, if you don't want to do it, then you should sell it and make yourself a fortune. Uh, so, but she's, yeah, she said, she, it's just this song, this, I don't know if I heard the video or I saw the video to this before I heard uh, Back on the Chain Gang, but I I do have some rem because this as one of the the first time they made the top forty, so I could have possibly heard it there. But this song is so sexy. It's I just it is this is right up there with uh, this anything I've ever heard from you know, let's get it on by Marvin Gaye. This is just a super sexy song and and she's she's just I, she may not like it, but uh, everybody else loves yeah. it. The harmonizing is uh, is a little bit cheesy especially when you couple it within the video where they both uh martin and james point to the menu where it says special, special. When, they, when the special <laughs> lyrics come on but uh that's I think the maybe only that's, downside maybe that's testament to the fact maybe the, the rest of the band didn't really like it either so they're kind of taking the piss and the point to the menu thing in the video <laughs> and they're yeah. all just kind of having fun with it knowing that they have a hit and I, I know they're going for a motown or soul thing but um there's nothing that sounds like that there wasn't anything that sounded like that when it hit the airwaves. You know what I mean? It's just Absolutely. With a sort of chorusy guitar, it's great. You know, really great. This, this is this is my second favorite overall Pretender song. I mean, I and and I know that it's it's not always cool to like the the you know the the, the song that is popular uh, or known, but I freaking love the song. This is such a great great song. So yeah, I give it, it a, just has that it just has that solid unwavering groove through the, the whole thing. It just never it just never changes. And like I say, I I definitely got that '60s Motown feel from it. Absolutely. But yeah, you're right. I've never heard anything. I'm. It's definitely their version of of a '60s yeah. Motown type of thing. They don't. It's, it doesn't sound like I anything. Think I think it's down to Pete Farndon, really. Um, the bass sort of has that push pull grab, like grab the string, but also let the next one ring sort of feel, sort of an Al Green sort of thing. I don't know, I think, I think the bass really makes it the, the unique thing in this, but um, yeah, I would agree with you guys. Also, the lyrics are cool. I mean, they're very obtuse though. Yes. She uses some ska terms. Yeah, quite a couple, four or five. Skank and so read and all that stuff. Yeah. And Talked Detroit about the Detroit Lee. Lean. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. That's where the gangsters got it. But if you watch the video, that's cool too, because Pete Farndon is in the front of that Cadillac, that pink Cadillac, and he's doing that. He's leaned back, one hand on the wheel. Uh, it was pretty cool. All 
All right, let's get some scores. So you already know what mine is. This is uh, this is my 12. So uh, Doug, your score? Uh, I gave it an eight. I would probably now I'd probably switch that with the weight if I could, but um, put the weight a little higher, one higher than this. But I, I I'll go with an eight on Brass and Hardy. Okay, and Wayne? I also gave it an eight. Yeah. All right. All right. Moving on to second to last song. This is Lovers of Today. I think that this song is a really good precursor for some of the really great ballads that Chrissy's going to write over the years. Yeah, I um, wrote in my notes says someday this will be I'll stand by you. Right. <laughs> That's a good observation. I like. That. Yeah. And uh I I guess my biggest concern or not concern, my biggest gripe with this 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 uh song was it's it's definitely a slow burn that doesn't really start cooking until like you're nearly two minutes in. I like the song once you get to about that two minute mark because mm-hmm. um, there are some 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 cool things at the end of this song, but I think it just it takes too long to get there. Um, still a great song. Maybe but, uh, maybe just one too many verses is all. Yeah, I think but so. I really I really that... love this song. It, it, when it first had the album in and. You know, the first 10 years of owning the album, I was sort of like, yeah, I don't know about that song. But as time goes on, I'm realizing I kind of sing that song sometimes. Or I think of it in my head. And the, the complex, the weird chord progressions and everything. It's, um, I think it's really a great song. It's I rated it lower on my list, um, but I really love the song. And I'm imagining she told the band she's to go for like a stylistics sort of thing here. Oh, I could t- you know? I could hear that. Yeah. Like and I, sort of I agree. Sort of soul thing. I love this song too. It almost sounds like she's singing a lullaby and it's, I mean, in the beginning and, and how, how can you not love Chrissy Hines singing you a lullaby? But I am at this point, it got a lower score because I think I'm missing the badass at this point. I, it's been a three or four songs in a row where I'm missing the, the lady who's using oh, the gotcha. dropping F-bombs. <laughs> oh, I got you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because um, the private life, rest in pocket. Yeah, um, it's got a really dramatic guitar solo, though. Really clusterish. That's what I love about his playing. He, uh, well, the best to me, the best of James Hunter and Scott's playing is when he does clustery notes and chord parts of chords instead of one note stuff or single note, single string things. But um, it's great. It's sort of Neil Youngish. And also, what strikes you about this song is that the verse is going along and they need land. They just land on some other key for the next part, you know, so like key changing all the time, yeah. which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I think saved, saved the song for me was that the, the, the key changes towards the end. So dug it. All right. Let's get some scores. I gave it a three Wayne. Oh, I gave it a four. I, I, I like it, but like I say, this, this album is stacked. Yeah. 
And then mm -hmm. Doug? Uh, I give it a four as well. Okay. All right. So let's wrap this up. So this is Mystery Achievement. How good is that bass riff? Oh, oh yeah, the, the backbeat in this is super solid, super solid. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was humming this like all all day long yesterday, and uh, this was kind of my. So, 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 Doug, you you didn't hear us as we were we were talking before we jumped on, so. Um, yesterday I gave my, uh, I gave my three weeks notice at my, at my work. And so oh. this, this was one of those songs that I was listening to on the way to work yesterday, knowing that I'm going to drop the bomb. And this was, this was one of my anthems yesterday. Like this kind of gave me, um, a little bit of extra, um, motivation, I guess, just that whole backbeat. And I just had that humming in my head and um so yeah good stuff wow i will i will always equate mystery achievement now with one of the happiest days of my life <laughs> so 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 wayne i know that you really dug this song so uh tell me why this is one of your your higher scores well that that backbeat the drum and the the bass and the drum uh they're locked in and like i say there's a there's this desperation in her voice um, and I, I, I just, that I just love that I say, and then to cure that previous problem with the backing vocals from the band, they just have her back herself up. So Chrissy Hind back background vocals to Chrissy Hind. You can't, you can't beat that. No. Agreed. Doug, anything else that you want to talk about from a, from a guitarist perspective on this song? Uh, it's just overall really great. Um, in the nineties, in, into the early two thousands, I had a band called Gem, G-E-M. Yes. In Cleveland, and I wrote a song that pretty much went for this same feel and tried to sound like this song. <laughs> um, what was it called? Razors in the Skies. It was on our second record, which is pretty hard to find. I don't even know if it's YouTubeable. But uh, I also wrote a song called JHS. First, I did, I did a long time, even before Jim, just as a solo thing on some compilation. And Jim oh, did well. JHS. Okay. It's about James Honeyman Scott. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like the phone call. It there anyway. If if you ever hear it, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. But yeah, mystery achievement has. It's just got that undeniable that that feel that it has. You know, very cool. baseline and um, drum thing. So, all right, let's get some scores. So Wayne, uh, I gave us an 11. It's my second favorite song. Awesome. And Doug, uh, even though it's undeniably great, um, it's six on my list of uh things in, on the album yeah all right and then um i gave it a five so uh kind of all over the place but 
I think we're all in agreement that this is a really great song. There's just so many other good songs on this record that uh, outweigh it. All right, so let's uh, let's go through our top five. Any any guesses what our cumulative high, highest score was? Uh, Tattooed Love Boys. Yeah, that was that was that was yeah. that was our tops. That uh, gave an average score of ten point three three. Uh, I've got a three way tie for the second song. So we've got the weight, we've got kid, and we've got brass and pocket, all with nine point three three scores and barely beating out mystery achievement with a 7.66 score is up the neck mystery achievement had a 7.33 so i think my my giving it a five um yeah just dropped it out of the the top five so sorry sorry chrissy (laughs) all right um any any last thoughts on uh on the on pretenders debut record not anymore on this record. Um, as I said, I think the EP is great. Um, Talk of the Town is an amazing song, and uh, just even more great guitar stuff on that. Uh, Message of Love actually is even better. To me, Message of Love is right up there with the best things on this album, just guitar-wise. I and mean, as it goes on, it just even gets better. It's got that ethereal sort of ending, strange chords, suspended things, you know what I mean? Like uh, when Message of Love begins, it's just sort of obvious, very, very literal. It's just kind of a cool rocking thing. And then as it gets going, it gets really sort of wistful in a powerful way. Yeah. As 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 we were finishing up this, I decided to revisit a couple other, you know, Pretenders records. And that that second record is is stacked. You know, you mentioned Message of Love. It's got Talk of the Town, Day After Day. Mm-hmm. Um, day after day is actually one of my favorite overall songs of theirs. It's really yeah. great. It's got everything in there. Yeah, and and I mentioned I mentioned that uh, Brass and Pocket was my second favorite song overall by Pretenders. So my 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 definite favorite is Him to Her from uh, Get Close. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's that's Chrissy at her at her best emoting. That is just a beautiful, beautiful song. So I know Wayne, you you typically go for the uh, the the attitude type of songs from Chrissy, but uh, she knows oh, yeah. how to. And there's a my, one of my favorite Pretender songs, I believe, "Night in My Veins" is on is is on that same record. Yes, that's a really good song. That's really. Oh, good I love I love that song. It's very pretty, but a good rock song. Still some badassness about it. Yeah, that that's actually wish, on you know, last of the independents. Right. I was gonna say learning to crawl got some good things, but um, I just wish you know my city was gone is a great song, but uh, Tony Butler, the bass player on that one from Big Country, made up that bass line. He was messing around in practice with the bass line. He was just it was just something he would play. They decided to write the song around that. He didn't get any songwriting credit. Really. Yeah, I mean, okay, there's something to be said for writing the lyrics and naming the song and writing the words and all stuff, but come on, that's the basis of the song. That's, you know, that's right. a structural uh, job that he did. So, you know, yeah. I don't know how he feels about that. <laughs> I'd be bitter if I were him, but I haven't read that he was, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway. Good stuff. Well, um Let's wrap this up because I know you you need to you need to boogie out of here. 
So uh, last, last question for you. Uh, I lift this question from a fellow podcaster in Orlando. So who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? And you, and you were you were the recipient of one of these referrals because I asked Ira on his episode and he was like, you need to have Doug on. Oh, hmm. Off the top of my head, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay. How's that? <laughs> that, that that that's fine. I know I know you know a lot of people in the industry, so I'm I'm sure there's there's a few of your few of your uh, musician friends that would would uh, want to talk about one of their favorite records. So thank you very yeah, much for yeah, coming I, on. I got to think about it for a little bit, and um, I'll I'll definitely shoot you a uh, message. That'd be fantastic. Right. Yeah. When I when I told one of my friends who is a big Guided by Voices friend. Uh, or or fan, uh, I said, yeah, Doug and I have been texting back and forth. He's like, what? <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's good stuff. All right. <laughs> well, uh, just remember, we're on Instagram using the hashtag Records Revisit Podcast. Uh, there's also a Facebook page, Records Revisit Podcast, that you can go and uh, please review us on iTunes. We definitely would love the, the the reviews and the feedback and um yeah so let's uh let's wrap this up so thanks for listening please go support the arts go to a live show buy a t-shirt of the band buy a record visit a record store and not just on record store day we are records revisited and we are out, out.